0: Good afternoon, good afternoon, listeners. Thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us for another KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc podcast. We're going to get right into our special guest because he's got a busy schedule. Our special guest is Mr. Bruce Wimbish. He's with a certain organization in Columbus that is near and dear to women's basketball fans' hearts for the 2017 2018 season specifically. So, Bruce, introduce yourself. How are you? And please tell us what you do.
1: Chris, Jerry, it's my pleasure to be on with you guys. And uh, Bruce Wimbish with the Greater Columbus Sports Commission. I am our senior communications manager. I've uh, been with the organization for almost seven years, and we are proud hosts of the 2018 NCAA Women's Final Four. Uh, first time it's in Columbus, and I'm just excited to uh, be on with you guys.
0: What? Has the response been from media so far? Fans, can fans buy purchase tickets yet? How are things going uh, in terms of that?
1: You know, I'll start first with uh, the tickets. Tickets go on sale to the public on Friday, October 27th at 10 a.m. Uh, the best way to go is Ticketmaster, but that's where you know, all the available seating on uh, the lower bowl as well as the rest of the arena will be available to the public for the first time. So that's a big date um, you know, on our calendar. And then as far as interest goes, it's kind of twofold with the way the college basketball season ended last year with South Carolina winning the title. There was just so more interest um, in that game. The game still sold out despite, um, you know, UConn having their streak end and losing in the semifinals. The TV ratings were up, the amount of streams, um, you know, on the watch ESPN app were up. So there's a lot of interest, and I think that's going to carry over to to this season um, and the women's final four because teams have closed the gap, and everybody's interested in seeing whether UConn can bounce back, or will teams <coughs> excuse me, continue to close that gap? Can South Carolina repeat, or will there be a, a new champion? So that's kind of one way we've seen a lot of intrigue and interest, but the other is, you know, this is the first time Columbus has had the women's final four And so people are always intrigued by going to a new city and seeing how that city stacks up against others in the past. And so we're really excited and hungry to have everybody, you know, visit here and uh, see kind of our great city, our great downtown, um, Ohio State's the host, so, you know, they do a good job. But we're really excited and proud to um, have this opportunity to show off everything that we have to offer. And, you know, I don't know if you guys know, it's about the countdown to Columbus, but we're really excited to have that to tip off the women's college basketball season.
0: We'll go into some details and explain what the countdown to Columbus is about.
1: You know, absolutely, it's great timing because uh, tickets for that uh, you know went on sale uh, recently. But that is kind of a preview that we're having in Columbus downtown at Nationwide Arena, um, where Connecticut will play Stanford uh, at 1:30 p.m. on Sunday. November 12th, and that game will be nationally televised on ESPN. So you kind of have a rematch of the two national semifinalists that didn't advance last year, and then Ohio State will host uh, Louisville um, at 4 o'clock on ESPNU. So two great games on a Sunday afternoon to kind of tip off the first weekend of the college basketball season for the women, and based on what I'm hearing, it looks like it's going to be you know a matchup before you know, top fifteen teams um in the rankings. So really excited to have that the first weekend and uh, and then kind of go from there.
0: What is the seating capacity for nationwide arena?
1: The seating capacity we have and this includes kind of all the suites um and the other hospitality areas is nineteen thousand eight hundred and four. So we have a very nice sized arena to host the women's final four and I think People will see um, that when they get here. But Nationwide Arena has hosted uh, NCAA men's basketball, the first and second rounds, four times uh, since 2004, and we'll also have it um, coming back in 2019 after women's Final Four. It is a building that houses our NHL Columbus Blue Jackets. We've had the NHL All Star Game here. We've had NCAA, you know, postseason basketball, as I mentioned, but every time we have a basketball event here, um, people say, how can we get more of it in the building? Cause as much as it sets up for hockey, it sets up extremely well for, for basketball. The Cleveland Cavaliers have had a preseason game there in the past as well. And, um, just an incredible venue for both hockey and basketball. And we're excited that more and more people will see that, um, on November 12th. And then again, with the women's final four. Well,
2: uh, Bruce, uh, uh, if you can just inform the people, you know, what's available downtown as far as outing when they step
1: out uh, away from the uh, basketball. Oh, great question, Jerry. Um, People will find that Columbus is a lot like Indianapolis. And I know the women's final four was there two years ago. We were there taking a lot of notes and asking a lot of questions, but extremely walkable um, downtown where you can literally um, park your car on Thursday or Wednesday, whenever you arrive, and not needed until after the games are over. Uh, one of the other things getting into town, if you're flying, is our airport is just 10 minutes away from downtown, so you have a very easy commute. But we have a great amount of hotels, a great hotel package that is connected to our convention center and nearby our convention center. And then to bring it all together, our convention center is just two blocks. From nationwide arena and the competition venue so for all the media traveling here all the fans you'll have a very easy time um getting around especially you know if the weather cooperates and in addition to your hotels the convention center nationwide arena um our short north uh, district uh as well as the arena district uh we have a lot of restaurants right there outside your door you know, of your hotel. So again, you can walk to the venue to see the games, you can walk to uh, the con- our Greater Columbus Convention Center for Town, but then your restaurants, your places to shop if you like, you know, listen to music, uh, bars, those are all close by, including some that are right across the street from Nationwide Arena to uh, to pregame out, if you will, and then just walk across the street.
0: Now, Jerry and I took a flight visit a couple months ago, and And one of the places you showed us was what was called the Market, North Market, stuff like that. Explain that a little bit
1: more. Yes, the North Market. Yeah, the North Market, um, it was great hosting you guys while you were here. But uh, the North Market has been around um, for much of Columbus's existence. Whether you're looking for any type of ethnic food, organic food, as well as a lot of staples, comfort food, ice cream, um, all of that is, you know, again, two blocks from Nationwide Arena right next to our Hilton, um, another block away from our Hyatt, so many other of our hotels. But people go there for lunch, and we find that it is a huge visitor's attraction um, when you're here for sporting events or conventions or meetings or just here for a, a tourist weekend, if you will.
0: Are the, are the hotel packages open, open for reservations now, or is that also going to be available in October?
1: No, they've been open for a few months, and reservations have been brisk. with all the team hotels designated. Um, the NCAA headquarter hotel will be our Hilton, where the two of you stay. That is also the media hotel. Um, the WBCA, for the women's basketball coaches, association their annual convention will be across the street at the hyatt and then there are already hotels where we have a fan block i think we're offering already up to 20 uh, hotels for fans to make their accommodations and the best way to you know do that is to go to our website where it's columbuswff.com and there's a big section on the hotels and based on our our partnership with the sports commission and experience columbus our convention and Visitors Bureau, we've put together that kind of customized hotel package to make it real easy for fans to uh, to make their uh, their accommodations.
0: Uh, the, so had, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No,
1: no, go ahead. You had
2: mentioned uh, about the, uh, being able to park your car and, and do a lot of walking. Just in, as far as space, what's available? You know, how far away would you have to park, or how uh, how early would you have to get there? to get us parking space at least downtown in the downtown uh the commission scenario to where you could just park your car and 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 just walk for the rest of the weekend.
1: I think you're gonna be in a good place. Yes, the Friday um semi <clears throat> semifinals are there um that evening and so yes it's a work day but that's what the sports commission in Ohio State will work on to have you know perhaps some of our major companies downtown um, such as nationwide and, and others kind of maybe um, close offices early and allow more of the visitors who are coming in to have those parking spaces uh, our arena district is uh, very recognized across the country but it's a great mix of our arena and anchoring it another triple a ballpark but also residences and office and commercial space as well as your restaurants and bars so because of that mix, there's plenty of parking options. And I think by the time you get to Friday and getting ready for the semifinals in um, there will be plenty of parking available. Very easy to get to downtown from any of our freeway um, that goes through Columbus, which is in the center of the state for Ohio. So geographically, we're in a good place parking, we're in a good place, but we also work to do a few special things to make parking even easier for fans coming into town, uh, whether they're coming to the arena or they're even coming to the convention center, which has its own parking spaces in, in two garages. So I think there's at least 4,500 spaces right around Nationwide Arena uh, for fans to use.
0: Without giving away any trade secrets, what was the process for the sports commission to, I guess, win and be a host for the final four whose idea was it? And I'll just throw it out there. Not many cities would show interest in hosting a women's final four. So why did the Columbus
1: sports commission decide to get involved? Well, it's uh It's been on our aspirational list for a long time, along with the NHL All-Star Game. That is something that the Women's Final Four we've eyed for a long time is a great fit um, for the city uh, because we have a reputation for hosting a tremendous amount of girls' and women's events, and this will be the culmination and the largest one we can host, in addition to just being one of the largest NCAA championships we can host. But you know having Ohio State tier 36 varsity sports fully committed to to title IX, demonstrated by that you know we collaborate on all of these bids and so you know talking with gene smith the athletic director at ohio state one of the favorite things i hear him say is for all of our student athletes we want as many championships to be hosted in the city where they can play in their backyard and we've had that happen with uh, men's volleyball last year that team won. We've had the Women's Volleyball Championship here and now the Women's Final Four and so many others. So Ohio State has always been interested. Uh, as soon as Nationwide Arena was built, uh, Columbus was interested. And we had to go through the, the process twice. We went and did in 2007 and 8, and had a site visit, and we didn't make that final cut of those five cities. But we learned so much from it. We increased and expanded our hotel package so that more people who attend the Women's Final Four could be downtown and right by the arena and be able to walk anywhere they needed to, and just all the other special touches um, that we wanted to have. And so downtown in our arena district has been built up that when the NCAA Women's Basketball Committee and the staff came back in 2014, they saw the difference from 2008. And so, again, the Women's Final Four has been an aspirational event for us we think it's one that's going to further put our city on the national map uh, more than we already are and we're ready to put our best foot forward to um, you know making it one of the most memorable championship experiences uh, ever
0: and one of the things i don't want to turn this into a, a commercial for columbus but i do but I
2: will. <laughs> what did you listen to everybody us? It's about lessons learned.
0: Exactly. But Bruce, Bruce, go into some more details because when, in 2014, when I saw Columbus as one of the finalists, I was like, Columbus? Why Columbus? What is in Columbus? So explain to the listeners, why Columbus? What is in Columbus? That, that is because when we were there, I was surprised at how much that we could do. So just to go into the marketing and the promotion, are you involved in any of the marketing ideas and sort of that sports commission has really done
1: a great job of uh, so far? Yeah, I do get to have a hand in it and it's, you know, more so taking a lot of of what's built and, and sharing that with the media and anybody that I come into contact with as much as possible. But we're used to people being surprised and kind of asking questions beforehand. And then when they leave here, they just said it's usually one of the best experiences they've ever had. And so Columbus is underestimated, underrated. Uh, it's it's time where people have said Columbus punches above its weight. Um, and that's going to be harder to do in the future because we are the 14th largest city in the country, the largest city in Ohio, um, passing up our sister cities in Cleveland, Cincinnati. Uh, the state capital, um, as well, and, and just thriving. Um, I don't think there are too many cities that can have that type of combination of being a top 15 size city, as well as having one of the largest um, universities in the Ohio State University, just 10 minutes away from downtown. So that's one value proposition that Columbus has that more and more people are recognizing. But we always run into, you know, what is there to do? And people are just blown away by the number of skyscrapers here, the fact that you pretty much can almost find anything that you're interested in here, and that's why the Women's Final Four is, is so big for us, because we'd love to have a national advertising campaign to tell people about that, but what we do have is these opportunities to show people that when they get here, their money goes along with way it because it's affordable, um, everything is just easy, people are very hospitable and welcoming, it's clean, it's safe. Um, we're very diverse, smart, and open, and we just need these type of opportunities to show that off. So the Women's Final Four, you kind of asked before, why is it so important to us? That's one of the reasons because we, we just can't have these type of opportunities, enough of them, that the Women's Final Four presents in showing off the city to a lot of people who haven't been here in 15, 20 years or who have maybe never even been here before.
0: Assuming the 2018 final four is a success for Columbus. Will Columbus host put it, put in a bid for another final four.
1: You know, I think that is definitely our our plan is we, you know, had a goal of of landing the women's final four and we've achieved that and just want to knock it out of the park, but we'd also like to be in that rotation where you don't have to wait 10 to 15 years until the next time around and so we really want to impress the fans the teams, and players, staffs, and coaches, but also the NCAA committee so that if we do decide to bid on it in the next um, cycle, um, we're ready. We've got our resume. We've shown it off, and we've done a great job with a lot of special touches, um, but we do uh, plan to look at it again and see how this year goes um, as a bidding cycle I know just opened up a few days ago.
0: Correct, and, and Jerry, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but Jerry and I Wildcat and I have dreamed hoped <laughs> before we die that the city of Houston will host a women's final four. <laughs> but Bruce, I'm that, tell okay
2: Bruce, he's not lying we we dreamed about that day from the first time we went it was like okay we we've been our eyes have been open it's been missing in a in a uh offhand, uh conversation and then some folks got real serious about it, and it was like, okay, they planted that seed. Let's go, let's go and see what we can get done. And I'm gonna be honest with you: the day when we found out, especially on that particular cycle when you all made the finalists, was disappointing. It just it just hurt. It just hurt. It just hurt. Well, it, when, it hurt even Dallas, more when
0: Dallas won. That's what hurt even more. Oh, that that
2: was a killer. We had to do some drinking that night.
0: I would be honest that we had to do some drinking <laughs> we just couldn't accept
2: it. First, you all got it, get this shot, and then Dallas won. I was like, "Damn, when is it, when, I, when is our time coming? When is our time coming?" Well, uh, oh, now, yeah. Ho- Hopefully, after the the city, uh, Toyota uh, Son hosts the uh, men's regional in, uh, in I think it's twenty nineteen, Chris.
0: I think so. Yes, sir. Uh huh.
2: Uh, I hope when that happens, everybody will will get on. Not so much get on board, but yeah, will get, on board. yeah get on board. Yeah, get on board. Yeah, because I want them to see for themselves what they're missing, and uh, that opportunity uh, only comes around so many times, especially for uh, a small building when uh, everybody it's, it's on the, on the men's side when they have gone to the to the big arenas to the stadiums to be hosting the region and in a small arena, in a basketball, in an actual basketball arena. let see what the opportunities are that's in front of them and actually use that as a stepping stone and steps to move forward and actually just, just say, okay, we're not missing an opportunity again. It's about time Houston moves into the rotation and on a regular basis, not only on the men's side, but also on the women's side.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, Houston is definitely in the, the hearts and minds of a lot of people and as everything is rebuilt, I think there could be a new perspective as to we need more events to bring tourism, you know, back and all of that money that's injected into the economy to help, you know, build the city back up. So I think, you know, a lot of sports commissions, uh, we are very friendly despite being competitors, especially if we're not going after other events, but uh, I think a lot of sports commissions may come to Columbus for uh, the Women's Final Four just to see how it's done and those that are thinking about it in the future. So I, we know the, the Houston uh, colleagues very well, and, you know, if they would love to come visit, you know, we'll welcome them with open arms. Bruce, real quick before we wrap it up,
0: have you – is it too early to, I guess, mention or know the projections for financial impact Women's
1: Final Four? will have on columbus no it's not uh, too early at all based on our estimates and yeah these can always change kind of going in you know one of the things that we find out is that getting to columbus because we're in the center of the country we find that these estimates as you get closer to the event seem to increase because attendance increases because instead of you know flying two people you can drive four or five for pretty much the same amount of money and But right now, our estimates is this is going to impact Columbus in $20 million in direct visitor spending, um, about 40,000 total fans over the, the week and the weekend, um, including about 30,000 of those from outside central Ohio. And then the national TV coverage on ESPN is something you just can't even put a, a figure on. So we're excited about that. As far as hotel room nights, without even the fan hotel reservations, it'll be about 11,000 hotel room nights generated and 5,000 of those will come from the Women's Basketball Coaches Association, their annual convention. So the hotels will be full. Um, the airport is going to be busy. The restaurants will be ready and welcoming. They're going to know the Women's Final fours here. That's one of the, the things that we have a great reputation of is despite being a big city and so many other things happening. uh, People know that the event is here and they know a lot about it. They're excited. And uh, I'm not saying I'm going to rush for it to be, you know, March 30th right now. There's still a lot of work to do, but um, we can't wait even for the countdown to Columbus in November and then the college basketball season to be underway.
0: I forgot to ask this question to you earlier of the 19,000, Approximate seating capacity, how many tickets are allotted for fans to purchase?
1: It's a, it's a good number. I don't know that actual split, um, but I will say there will be tickets that are held, um, you know, for various stakeholders, such as the schools and the teams, um, the NCAA and ESPN and, and some of the, the sponsors of the women's final four. So there's always holds for those. And then as you get closer to it. You start to realize how many of those tickets um, on hold are actually going to be used, and so there are opportunities, you know, closer to the event where things may become available. But that's why, you know, October 27th, that Friday, 10 a.m. Is, is really important because that'll be the first opportunity to get some of that uh, premium seating um, for what what really could be an exciting, uh, you know, three games that weekend. Some other things to to know is you know, Ohio State is going to just be the second Big Ten host ever to have it the Final Four, joining uh, Minnesota in 1995. And this will only be the third time that it's in Ohio. Um, in 1997, it was in Cincinnati, hosted by Conference USA. And then in 2007, it was in Cleveland, hosted by Cleveland State University and the Mid-American Conference. So we're happy to have this event in Big Ten country You know, based on all the the major cities around us in Detroit and Chicago and Pittsburgh, Indianapolis, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Nashville, it's very easy to get here, and this is basketball country. Um, So a lot of people are going to travel, but it's definitely going to have an impact. Tickets, I think, are going to be robust. We've been pushing it hard locally in Columbus that we cannot sell out this game, which is our goal, without our local fans but we have to make sure that our local fans know that tickets are available and they just don't assume because the women's final four is such a big event that it's automatically sold out.
0: You're on Twitter. And so if listeners, fans have questions, can they send you a tweet with their question? And if so, what is your Twitter name account handle?
1: You know, absolutely. Um, I, working with the media and fans and public relations, very accessible, always here. Um, my Twitter handle is Bruce, B-R-U-C-E, CBUS, C-B-U-S, sports. So all together, Bruce, CBUS sports, um, very accessible. But also um, our website in ColumbusWFF.com is already made with a lot of answers to everybody's questions about what can they do while they're here, their hotel reservations, getting in and out of the city. Um, We're trying to be as prepared as possible and get as much of those kind of initial questions out of the way for people so that we can work on some special things that they can experience while they're here that may not have happened before. Bruce Wimbish, Columbus Sports Commission.
0: Jared, do you have any final questions for Bruce? No, Bruce, not right now. If I do,
2: I'll, trust me, I'll send you uh, an email, tweet, whatever, Uh, (laughs) and get an answer for it. But, uh, yeah, today has been a good conversation. It's been a good day. Uh, Glad to hear from you. Hopefully some folks got some insight to what's uh, what's going on in Columbus as a city and some folks are uh, definitely looking forward, I presume, uh, going to Columbus for the uh, women's final four.
1: Bruce, you have well, I appreciate the opportunity to to talk with you guys, and again, it was great to have you visit us for a short time. And we look back to having you here for the for the countdown. And just uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk more about women's basketball and the women's final four.
2: Oh, Thanks. one other thing, um, and and that's I'm sorry that, that neither one of us thought about it yeah. until now. Bruce, how did you uh, enjoy? What was your insight into uh, being invited to the summer mock?
1: The mock selection exercise, um, I I was just blown away. You know, I I follow basketball very closely and March Madness for both the women and the men, but to sit in that room with about 60 other people, you know, NCAA staff, committee members, you know, from all different conferences across the country, a a few media um, as well, and see the art. You know, not only that it's an art, but it's also a science to how that bracket is put together, and all the different factors that go into it that you try to maximize and make. Um, I just tip my hat off to the committee, but also for all the individual staffs for NCAA institutions that all year long, you know, have to champion their their conferences and their schools um, to try to make it for a bracket. It is an incredible amount of work, and I think. That's what's great about what our sports commission does in complementing Ohio State is they continue to work on the event and the team side, and all of those operations, and we get to work with the hotels and the other facilities and all the hospitality offerings that our city has. And when you put those those two things together, um, it's really a great combination. And that mock selection exercise showed me even more just how those two things relate.
0: Bruce, I'm here. thank you very much for your time. Do you have anything that you want to mention that we did not ask you about?
1: No, just excited about the countdown to Columbus. If you can't visit, um, tune in to ESPN November 12th at Sunday at 1.30 uh, for UConn and, Louis- and Stanford. And then right after that, switch over to ESPNU to see Ohio State uh, take on Louisville. And I don't know if it's a preview for the women's Final Four. I know... No school has ever hosted and played in it, but I know Ohio State women's basketball is not shying away from that being one of their team goals for the season is hosting it and and getting to the final four for only the second time uh, in the school's history.
0: Bruce Wimbus, Columbus Sports Commission, thank you very much for your time. And and if your schedule allows, we'll try to uh, speak with you again for another podcast in the future as we get closer to the final four to get an update on ticket sales and things like that, if that's cool with you, but you uh, all right, great. This is, this has been very informative. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And you take care and we will see you November 11th, last 12th for the countdown to Columbus.
1: All right, fellas, take it easy. You too. Bye-bye. All right.
0: All right. Thanks again to Bruce Wimbish from the Columbus Sports Commission for speaking with us in this podcast. And now we're going to uh, talk some HBCU football with our man, Doc. So, Doc, you got it, man.
3: Yeah, let's get into it. Uh, Very intriguing weekend for Black College football, HBCUs, mid-major division, major division, some crucial games. We'll give you the top five teams in the top ten This week, you can go to thg-agency.com. The entire top ten will be listed by Wednesday. You can go and listen to the show. We'll give the entire top ten on Tuesday. It airs from 5.30 to 7 on KKBQ 92.98 FM HD2. Uh, If you can't uh, catch it uh, on your FM HD two radio. You can catch it streaming at k2h dash tv dot com. Again, it's k2h dot com. We also do it as a SoundCloud podcast. We can catch it at your own time, and it'll be up the, updated on there next week. Say that again. Maybe Look up games. there. Yes, you can catch it on Wednesday or Thursday uh, next week as a podcast as well have it posted on uh, SoundCloud.com. It usually takes a day or two to get it completed. What was intriguing, we'll start with the big boys right here around our block, if you would, in terms of Texas with the SWAT teams. Both Texas teams, local teams, were in action. Both of them were in the road. In fact, the entire West division was on the road. Oddity, in a lot of ways, from a scheduling quirk, because it doesn't happen in reverse order. But this week you saw all 10 SWAC teams in action, and you actually had the entire West playing the East. In fact, the entire West was traveling to Eastern Division sites. So you had Grambling playing Mississippi Valley State, uh, and Arkansas Pombler traveling to Jackson. You had Texas traveling to Huntsville to play Alabama A&M in the Texas Center as well as you've had Southern traveling uh, to take on the Braves on North Carolina State. And last but not least, one was actually able to travel in Seattle, that was Prairie, traveling to Montgomery to play Alabama State. A uh, couple of teams got the first win on the season. Big news for Alabama A&M, the Bulldogs. They defeated Texas Southern. Actually, an uh, intriguing matchup in this game is, Alabama a and put up 30 points, really beat up on Texas Southern Tigers in a lot of ways. 30 to 13, so uh, the Tigers of Texas Southern University have a lot of work to do. Uh, the Keel Glass of Alabama A&M passed 22 or 37, 337 yards and two touchdowns. He looked really good. Jay Kristoff, Texas Southern, was uh, just had uh, nine carries of 74 yards, so he got a lot of his yards on the ground. He did rush for a touchdown in the action. My understanding, though, that he uh, may be in trouble in terms of a shoulder injury. We'll have to keep you updated to see how that goes. Alabama a and Octavius Miles had four receptions for 100 yards and a touchdown. Boy, he went deep with the big bomb to really blow up that game in regards to uh, for the Bulldogs of Alabama and m It uh, looked like Texas a yeah. yeah. They ran the bus. Uh, certainly different from that was Prairie getting their first win as they actually took a charter plane and flew to Montgomery. They shut out the Hornets. I haven't seen the Hornets play like this as Prairie was very stout on defense, but Alabama State had some major issues at the quarterback position. They just could not move the yard, uh, move the ball, if you would. Uh, but a nice shutout. Last time Prairie had to out, 2008, uh, they won a championship 2009 there, so it should be interesting. You're going to have a lot, lot of Prairie defenses. i uh, happy about hearing that. Mel McCullers did his thing, fourteen twenty seven, hundred seventy three 173 yards in the touchdown. And Stephon McCray really got it done with nine carries, 104 yards, and two touchdowns. Hardy, uh, Marcus Hardy, that is, had two receptions of 79 yards in the touchdown. So prairie played really on offense, still trying to get it together. Yeah, the Grammys State Titans defeating the City of Delta Devils. They did this on the defense. The offense struggled quite a bit, which surprised a lot of people in terms of the City Valley. This is a team that everybody seems to get well on. Uh, but uh Bradley did what they had to do. They get the get the win. Thirty eight to six and K uh touch out in that game. So you can see, as I said, they really got it done on defense. The other game was Southern. Alcorn State win the game going away forty-eight to thirty-one. This is after trailing like twenty-four to three early in the game, which is really has a lot of Jaguar fans upset. Much like Jackson State, uh, we'll get to that upset shortly here uh, in many people's eyes. But Alcorn Braves get it done. The Lance Turner churned out a career high two hundred and seventy yards with two touchdowns as he just was ground and pound. They were eating it up. Austin Howard did come back in this game, got his knee brace and he played pretty solid, 40 yards and two touchdowns, 24-45. He did have an interception, but he was solid in that game. Uh, Dennis Craig for Southern put up some yards, three reception, 96 yards and a touchdown. But they just couldn't stop the ground ground game All the Braves. Uh, that is the Jaguars, so they take the L. Jackson State. Jackson uh, State lost in overtime, had an 11-point lead in the fourth quarter. Let it get away. And Arkansas Pine Bluff gets it done in overtime, 34-27. to 27. And, boy, the Tiger fans all live it. I'll put it just that way. Brent Lives at Jackson State, 18-29, had 127 yards passing. Jordan Johnson for Jackson State, 19 carries, 130 yards. Uh, so Jackson State is all over the legend, but they didn't get it done even – in terms of receiving yards, Javon, uh, Javon Floyd had 6 for 7 for 46 yards. But it was Lee Earl Patterson scored two touchdowns, including the game winner in overtime uh, for the Golden Lions. And they jump out 1-0 in the slack. So the West still getting it done, 3-2 over the East this weekend. Seems to be interesting and we're going to the matchup. Should get the Meag. Meag has some intriguing games. Probably the best game of the week was the Thursday night game of ESPN between two contenders, South Carolina State traveling to North Carolina Central. Just letting you know how well coached the Central Eagles are and certainly how deep they are with uh, with talent, they went down to their third quarterback and still came from behind and found a way to win the game as freshman backup quarterback Chauncey Caldwell threw for two touchdowns and rushed for 77 yards, including a late passing touchdown to take the lead 33-28 and just nipped the Bulldogs. Boy, the Bulldogs have two close losses this year um, that I'm sure that uh, must have them shaking their head. Remember, they lost that New York Challenge game when the wide receiver literally dropped a wide-open bomb uh, that did not allow them to get the victory against Southern in that game. So Bulldogs just can't shake it. DeJuan Ford, for example, the quarterback, uh, Four the Bulldogs with 17 and 25, 223 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, but you had the rushing game from Chauncey Caldwell at, at freshman quarterback, 18 carries, 72 yards, coming in late in that game, getting it done. And then Quan Caldwell, South Carolina State, had five receptions, 87 yards and touchdown, mm-hmm. looking at the The you know, that was kind of exciting it was between the Howard Bison and the Bethune-Cookman Wildcats, I guess we can go ahead and say it now. The Howard Bison football program is back in the football business as Kalen Newton does it again, scores late in the game, a winning touchdown. Uh, He threw for a touchdown and ran for two more, including that five yard run with 39 seconds left in the game that drove the Howard fans crazy winning. He's Bethune Cookman Wildcats 26 to 24 in that contest. Howard brings their overall record. Two and two, one and zero oh in the Way race. Uh, Larry Brim for Bethune-Cookman the junior, Larry Brim Jr. I should say was 16 to 28, 185 y- yards in the touchdown. He was nice. Kaelin Newton also did it with his feet, 22 carries, 140 yards, and two touchdowns. And Frank Brown for Bethune-Cookman uh did it in terms of uh, receptions, seven receptions for 80, y- 84 yards, and touchdown. Very nice. Uncle State gets their first lead over Delaware State as they travel on the road and get it done against the Hornets. Poor Hornets. They're 0-4 and 0-2. Losing two really close games in the Miac, but they're already 0-2 in the Miac. They fall 17-7. Just can't quite put up enough points in their contest. Hacking lost a 9 conversed kind of game to the mama, Uh Frustrating a lot of people as they were in that game in every way. They lose overtime 30-23 after leaving early in first half in the contest. FAMU gets a bit of a revenge against Savannah State Tigers. It was close, though. 20-14 to 14, as they go on the road and get it done. FAMU is trying to show that they're back in the football business. But the team that everybody is watching, the only undefeated team at the major division level is North Carolina and t 49-17 over Morgan State Bears. They just haven't quite been the same. They made a way to the catch. Just like their back team, uh, the middle of the pack, and at the bottom of the pack there.
1: Uh, just trying to try
3: get it done. Uh, another big score fell out of, especially Bowie State, is they just seem to just want to beat up on everybody, putting up points uh, as they get it done this week uh, in stellar fashion, uh, playing some outstanding football in many ways. Ooh, that doesn't make sense the way they just beating up on teams here and there. Uh, for example, they put up 76 points. Let me say it again. 76 points against Shaw, 76-7. Uh, to seven. That looks like one of those beat-down games when you're talking about FBS Power 5 schools bringing in the FCS program. But, no, these are two conference roles. Uh, they put up 60-some 60, points last week. They do it better, 76 points. This weekend, boy, you're talking about a train that is rolling. Another interesting game in the CIAA for a lot of people was Virginia State uh, over Winston-Salem State. Uh, two teams that played for a championship just a couple years ago—they um, get it done in overtime. The Trojans come from behind uh, to get that win at home, 33 to 27 over Winston-Salem State. Fantastic classic type matchups right there uh, for a lot of people, keeping things really interesting in the CIAA. Uh, before I go to the polls, uh, those are some of the games that I want to keep you up. So let me go ahead and jump into these polls with the mid-major. Uh, Division 11 will give you the top five programs to we'll see what changes this week. Uh, I will tell you dropping out of the team, so when you see the top ten, uh, you'll see some new teams in here. As Benedict Tigers drop out this week, as Morehouse Maroon Tigers drop out as well. with some tennis in pieces. we have those top five programs, we have two new teams in the top five. Uh, so. so it'll be interesting the week. We're going with Clark Clark, Clark Atlanta Panthers. As they improve to three and one on the season and one and zero in the conference race, they move up three spots from number eight as they are number five this week. At number four, Elizabeth City State Vikings three and one, one zero. They jump up three spots as well from number seven as they continue to get it one, get it done with a big victory, conference win this week. Number three, two and one are the same, but we'll break it down like this: Langston Lions, three and zero, two and zero. as they get a big conference win. Uh, this week over McConnell, continue to play some good football. Lions, they're waiting on the, the Arizona team over there to see if they can make a run at a conference championship. And number two, Virginia State Trojans told you about their big win over Winston-Salem State. So they hold on to number two. They do lose the first place vote, uh, in a lot of ways because how close that game was and just how dominating number one team shouldn't surprise anybody And you put up 76 points after putting up 60 plus. Let you know that they're rolling at four and oh, uh one and oh is they are undefeated as well as Virginia State Trojans. We talked about they earned their additional first place votes, so they have six first place votes uh coming in at number one. <laughs> so top five programs are Clock Atlanta, Panthers from the SIAC, Linden City State, Vikings, three and one, uh number four out of the CIAA, Rangston, the Long NRA program, the top ten overall in the top 5 there getting it done out of the Central State Football League, Virginia State Trojans, CIAA in that mighty, mighty North Division of the CIAA, followed by number one, Bowie State, CIAA as well in the North Division. Now on to the major division, as we like to say, the big boys. Uh, top five programs here. Hampton remains number five as they uh, dip down a little bit, two and two, one and oh. And number four, Tennessee State Tigers take a tough loss. Their first conference game they lose. So they're three and one, oh and one in the OBC. They fall two spots from uh two to number four. Green to number three, North Carolina Central Eagles. They move up a spot two and one, one and with their tough Thursday night victory we talked about over South Carolina State getting it done. And number two, Grand State Tigers, they were they move up a spot even though People weren't quite as impressive, so they lose the first place vote, but they stay at three and one, one and zero in the conference race. And number one, North Carolina a they add three first place votes as they continue to dominate the Aggies, are four and zero overall and one and zero in the conference race. In the MEAC, getting it done. So top five programs are Hampton Pirates as the MEAC two and two, Tennessee State of the OVC three and one, North Carolina Central of the MEAC two and one. Ramblin' State Titles of the SWAT, 3-1, and and, uh, the mighty Aggies of North Carolina A&T, 4-0, 4-0, in the MIAX office race, getting it done. That'll
0: do it for the mid-major, major major division this week in week number four. Appreciate that, Doc. And just remind everybody how they can follow you and keep up with you in the the social media world.
3: Yes, you want to get all this information from uh, HBCU up and close polls, big games to watch, things of that nature. You can follow me on the social media platforms at Dr. Kenyatta Cavil. That's D R K E N Y A T T A C A V I L. Again, it's D R K E N Y A T T A C A V I L. It's Facebook, Instagram, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter to get all those news and latest on HBC sports. Probably the big game this weekend. Jackson State, they're 0-4, but they've been playing tough. I can Prairie take that next step as they're hosting at home? You also have a Friday night game that's little so interesting to hear. As Texas Southern hosts Alcorn State Braves. Another team that's trying to continue to push forward. And when we're doing the Jackson State time at Alabama A&M, both teams are one in the SWAT So somebody's going to take a 2-0 oh, uh, sweat conference position should be interesting when you're talking about it. I always like to be up there. So that's a good one to look at, even though both games uh, would feature um, the opposite division. So keep your eyes on that. Another one is North Carolina Central. Doc, Doc
0: hold on. Uh, re- repeat what you just said because you, you kind of broke up there on that uh, last matchup.
3: Uh, the last matchup in the SWAT, keep your eyes on, is Arkansas Pine Bluff traveling to Huntsville. Huntsville, the Alabama Bulldogs, will have their second consecutive game. It'll be their homecoming game. But they play Arkansas Pine Bluff. Both teams are 1-0 in the SWAT. So it'll be an interesting matchup because both teams obviously would like to jump out early to 2-0 in the SWAT and see what they can do and kind of chase it down. And you know the SWAT is only playing seven games this year, so you
2: jump out. Piano and sweat, boy.
3: You can make it tight on some other folks with the chasing. You. Then I jumped over to the NEAC and talked about a couple of games. You have another nice Thursday night matchup this week with uh, North Carolina. Uh, the Both teams are undefeated. NEAC play at one and so intriguing race matchup there. In regards to those I'm looking after. You have North Carolina and T uh, traveling to South Carolina State. This is a tough matchup. Even though South Carolina State comes in at one and two and over one, both of South Carolina State's losses have been really close matchup games against tough teams. So if anybody can give North Carolina a run for them money, besides North Carolina Central, that has beaten the last three years, uh, it'd be the South Carolina State Bulldogs, and you know they're desperate for a win. So that's one that you want to keep an eye on as well. Then you have two teams that are struggling to get those wins. Savannah State 0 1 in the MEAC, 0 and 3 overall. Bethune Cookman 1 and 3, on 1. So that will be just one the key. I just want to see, what you see as you move forward in terms of the major division for HBC games of week number five.
0: All right, and a couple things, um, listeners. Doc is going to. Uh, keep his word and pay off his bets this Tuesday feeding a wild cat, uh a steak dinner. He owes him Jeffy? two steaks, right? Yeah, yeah,
3: you're correct.
0: So so we'll be in we'll be uh at our favorite eatery across from <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. Where the building used to be, KCOH, you know, fourteen thirty, but it's now where Doc's. Does he stand? And what's the call it again, Doc? The number, station number, everything. Yes, uh k k b ninety two
3: point nine FM HD two. Uh, still in the KCOH historic studio, right there.
0: Correct. All right, Saturday after Saturday morning. Last afternoon, I was enjoying People, my it. It. I was enjoying my water and juice. Uh, 11 o'clock kickoff in Houston, Texas, in the summertime. Especially, it's still summertime. I don't care what the calendar said. The sun said right. 90 degrees. The thermometer said temperature said 90 degrees. It was hot. It was hot. We started drinking water and juice around 8:30. So we got hotter. So uh, it got hotter. We enjoyed some kolaches and things of that sort before Cougars played Texas Tech. Nice. We were, uh, I had my concerns, as I mentioned in the last podcast, whether the Cougars could beat Texas Tech, and my concerns were confirmed as Texas Tech jumped out to uh, an early lead it was 6 nothing after the first quarter. Could have been more. Receiver dropped a wide open touchdown passing in the end zone. Cougs showed 13 nothing. Clawed back within 13-10. Before the half, had a chance to get in scoring position before halftime. Low snap from the center, who who was really struggling to, to snap the ball to Kyle Allen correctly. And it resulted in a fumble. So halftime score was 13-10. Texas Tech jumped out, really did a great job. Kudos to Red Raiders offensive staff for confusing the Cougars defense, kept them on you know on their heels in the third quarter, took advantage of some dive plays, gashing the Cougars up front, took advantage of secondary mistakes, big plays. Jumped out to a 27-10 lead. Kyle Allen struggled. QB struggled. He's talking about a difference in opponents, difference in in week to week. He looked so efficient versus Rice, the previous game, 31 to 33. He was not efficient Saturday versus Texas Tech. He was awful. Really was. He just took a step back. He looked uncomfortable. He looked unsure of himself. His overall numbers don't seem truly horrible, but he made poor decisions at the wrong time, got picked off in the red zone. Um, His numbers are 24-39. He got sacked twice. He held onto the ball too long, got picked off twice, fumbled. The Cougars turned it over too many times um, in crucial situations. And Kyle Allen's play was so poor or ineffective that Major Applewhite went to Kyle Postma, fourth quarter. And Postma sparked the team, brought them back to within three, scored eleven two to two touchdowns, 27-24. But they just they ran out of time. It was really interesting to see how Postma saw things and maybe it was because Texas Tech defense was more, I guess, in a previous mode since they were up 17 late fourth quarter. So they were far back from the line of scrimmage. But Post, Postman took advantage and scrambled and ran to some open spaces that Kyle Allen just didn't do. So after the game, Chronicles Joseph Duarte during postgame asked Coach Applewhite if it was a possibility that there'd be a quarterback change for the game against Temple. And Applewhite said that uh, all the positions are open. We've got position battles, so it is possible. You know, there's competition in each position, and each player understands that. So we'll see how things go. We've got a game coming up this Saturday, September 30th, at Temple. It won't be easy. Cougars need to win. The conference play now starts. So losing to Texas Tech, hurts in the grand scheme of things in terms of, you know, being ranked in top 25, but it does not deter the Cougars from the goal of winning the conference, the Atlantic, the American Athletic Conference Championship. So that goal began Saturday. I don't expect them to uh, win the conference championship this year. I just think there's too many things that the team lacks. The secondary is just, just not good. It's not good enough at all. To deal with good passing attacks. Um, There's just too many holes. Running game is just not from the running back position. Like, you know, quarterback scrambles. It's part of the running game, but you don't want your quarterback to lead your team and rush it. You prefer your running back to do that. So they got to shore that up too. And it's just, the offense is just too boring and ineffective. If you want to be boring and ground and pound, as long as it works, great. Because it works. You know, it means you're, you're marching down the field, wearing down to the opponent, scoring touchdowns, not field goals. If that's what it takes, fine. Because the only playmaker the Cougars have on offense finally played, was healthy enough to play Saturday, and that's DeAaron King. He mm-hmm. scored a touchdown out of the backfield, catch the pass, running for 18 yards. He is the only true playmaker, the quickest guy on the offense. The receivers are possession receivers, they're, and that's fine. You know, they're not quick enough to beat folks deep on a consistent basis, so you got to, you know, dink and dunk your way down the field. That's how this team is constructed. So hopefully with Deere King being back, healthy, he'll get more touches and add some more dynamic opportunities to the offense. Because that's what they need. Because other than that, they really don't have it. Duke Catalan at running back—he hasn't broken loose enough. It's just—I was some booze Saturday, and after the game, we returned, we resumed to the tailgate spot to you know drink a few and pick up our stuff and leave. And alums were happy because of the play calling was just not effective, and the execution was even worse. At crunch time and clutch situations, so the game was winnable. Two Texas Tech credit so the,
3: fans, so the fans seen it less in terms of talent, more in terms of coaching, critical, right design.
0: The yeah, especially in the in the in the first half, it was just too many handoffs to the the running back up, just straight straight up the gut, like you're just running into Texas Tech defense. And Kyle Allen missed, he had some overthrows. He had receivers open, he didn't connect. We all know last few years, I mean, heck, how far back do want to go? Texas Tech's defenses have not been good. That's true. Saturday's defense performance was solid by Texas Tech. Give them credit for that. But there were enough opportunities for the Cougars to take advantage if they would have called better plays and executed those plays.
3: Yeah, I was going to say that when you talk talking about just losing by three, 27, 24, with all so the critical analysis that you pointed out, the fact that even though you had put up two late scores, the fact that you lose by three, if you make a
0: couple of key changes and make some plays, you'd like to feel that you could get that game. In, in the one of Kyle Allen's interceptions, he scrambled. It was a broken play. He threw a it was roughly it was roughly a twenty five yard line, take six. So they were in field goal range. Okay. He scrambled, running toward the sideline, decides to throw across his body up, back to the middle of the field. Picked off. You know, I think I, I believe it was third down. So all he had to do was eat it, run, get what he can, run out of bounds, throw it out of bounds, whatever, and take the points. He took you know that pick. You just can't do that. Winning teams don't make those no plays. You you just cannot take points off the board in that situation. And that's what happened and that and I and like I said, the transformation of how efficient he was the previous week to yesterday is like night and day. But he's had turnover problems these first few games and the Cougars cannot afford to make mistakes like that. With this year's club, and still win ball games, you cannot lose a turnover battle. This year's team cannot lose a turnover battle, and still ha- have chances to win ball games.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, let me ask, let me ask this question: After Duarte made his question or comment, what was the reception in the room? What do you mean? Uh, usually, there is a uh, a pause of. Oh, he asked that
0: question. Was it an immediate answer? there's yeah. was, it was, it was an immediate, it? It was immediate answer. He, yeah, to his credit, you can he can go to the uh tomorrow,
2: saying, uh, tomorrow I'll, I'll ask my questions and all this in the process because it's been a question from day one What is this quarterback crew that they have that they're trying to put together and the offensive line it's gonna take it a while, and up to this up to this game in particular, it's been the defense that's been holding us together. And apparently, yesterday that wasn't the case. When the take wanted to do something with the ball, either extended the as soon as they, uh, drive or do a quick uh, a quick score, they were capable of doing that. So that tells me that was a question I'm going on the
0: defense. Well, the the front uh, Texas second t- t- scheming, play calling was superb. They neutralized Ed Oliver. He only had uh, three assists and two solo tackles, so they kept him in check by double teams and slants and things of that sort, but anyone who's right, anyone who saw the first game of the year who's played against Arizona saw that the second day wasn't very good. So the game against Rice, Rice isn't very good. Texas Tech's offense is better than Rice and better than Arizona. So, if the Cougs secondary is not very good, and you find a up against a team that can pass the ball, well, take take, take advantage of the Cougs' shaky secondary and got what they wanted to. So, that's a concern. That was a concern before the season started. It's still a concern. It was a concern last year. It's still a concern. So, Ed Oliver, Ed Oliver cannot play D line, linebacker, and secondary. So, they need to shore that up. And if, if they don't, then they're going to continue losing games. The Cougars are not the best team in the American. USF is on the only team ranked right now, but they're not, they're not as good as USF. UCF yesterday mashed Maryland. I think the final score was 38 to 10 yep. at Maryland. Yep. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, that's the same Maryland team. That put 51 on Texas in Austin. Yeah, that's Maryland here. Okay, so USF is better than U of H. Looks like UCF is better than U of H. Now, the Cougars don't play UCF, they do play USF. I think Memphis is better than U of H this year.
2: Well, I, I believe that's for sure. I so know
0: Possibly SMU is better than, than U of H this year. More firepower. That would be so, that would be scary if, that's a, if, that, if that actually happens.
2: That's, a, that's not scary. That's the reality. No, what I mean is that means you've been
0: passed back. No, no, no. That's that's a, this is a one year deal. If it happens next year, then it'll be scary. This and is first year of Apple White. I'm, I'm not going to. I don't believe even outside of the Apple White household, anyone with. An objective mind did not see this U of A team winning nine, ten football games this year.
3: Oh no, uh-huh. eight,
0: eight would be the high end, and then going down from there. So if they get a bowl, great. But other than that, I, I didn't have high expectations for this year. Now next year, I'm not going to accept all of this not being the best team in in Texas which means SMU struggling against UCF, USF, all that. You got a one year pass because honestly, some alums believe me and my friends believe one of the reasons that Apple White was hired as head coach, because you said had the money to go out to somebody better and pay him. Mm.
2: Okay. Let me, let me, let me ask this question. Here. Because that's the second time that's, well, that conversation has come up on the, at Flash Football the last three weeks. My question, why have you Ray, put themselves in that position twice in the last five years? You did that with Levine, and now you're doing it with Applewhite?
3: What's going on? Well, I think you also have to consider that they've placed a considerable amount of money in regards to the other projects. So, not having... That television money, at some point, you got to kind of pick your battles as you go back and forth. And say, you know, alright we're going to put in more money and making sure that we have a football facility the indoor practice facility, see if we can get it done with somebody that has name recognition, see if we can kind of outkick the coverage, if you would, and uh, you want to believe that he can outperform the contract. Once he shows it, then you're in a position where you can say, all right, let's find the money. I think it's a challenge just to think that you can always just have that money to be able to get big-name coaches when you're also trying to do the other things that's necessary to have
0: a big-time program. I think it's a fair question. It's a fair question, but, Doc, you gave an excellent answer. U of H is not A&M. It's not Texas. We We don't print money. We just can't go out and say, Coach, name your price and come on up to U of H. There's reasons why. Browse or summon Herman left to go to big bigger programs, bigger paychecks, better opportunities, better facilities, b- bigger programs. We don't have enough mm-hmm. big time money alums to just say, "Yeah, whatever you want." Just tell me how much you wanted to to pay the coach. I got it. We got one. His name will be all over every every building on campus, and maybe at some point. But even he doesn't, doesn't print money like that. Well, that's true. So this is reality of the situation. And if Major White is a, is a good, solid, bland coach, he, I, I believe he's more uh, substance than sizzle. And that's great. He just has to win. I really don't care how you win. As long as you win and don't cheat and win respectably, just win. I'm not concerned about the style of play. I don't care if it's boring. Win. This year is a bridge year. He's still getting recruits. He's got great relationships with high school coaches in Texas and Louisiana. As long as he can continue mining those relationships and get talent in, he's just got to coach them up and win. He does that great. If he does that well enough two, three years from now to warrant a pay raise, and the money is there, then he will, he'll get paid. But when we talked about in previous podcast of the basically U of H operating athletic budget operating in, in the red by a huge amount of money, where go? where's the money going to come from to keep paying big-time coaches to come here if the money isn't there? You just can't pay them. That's won't happen. And just be just be real. If U of H does not get into a power five, ultimately power four conference, then they go have to make that ultimate decision. We just don't have the money to do this anymore. And we'll just be where we are and stay G five, group of five, or go on down to whatever subdivision level, because in the next ultimate realignment, if it's just four 16 team conferences, if you basically does not make the cut in that, there's no point in being a big time football. That'll be reality. Hmm. Wow. This is all in our move. There's no, this no, wow, that's reality. That's I'm not the first, this not the first time I've said that. i said it before.
3: That's right. When is unfortunate and true for the situation at hand. last year. And you're going to have more programs that that you probably say, wow, that we'll have to make
0: that tough decision. You know, that's that's the economic reality of the situation. Last year, we had all those schools trying to kiss Big 12 president butt and put on these presentations to – be accepted into the Big Twelve. When ultimately ESPN said, "No, nope, y'all not going to do an expansion," so you understand stick with what it is. And then Big Twelve said, "No, no, we're not going to do it. We're going to stay where we are." So they put egg through egg in all those schools' faces. So all those schools who tried to make a solid presentation are stuck. So if they don't get into a power conference. Then those schools are just going to say, "Well, we don't have the money, so we can p- come a basketball conference and play football on low, low level." And it is what it is. That's what. It, that's reality. That is the haves are not going to have problems. The have-nots. That number of schools is going to continue growing, unless some money and revenue comes from other sources and starts going to the have-nots.
3: And part of me believes that the
0: power of fire students are purposely choking out these other institutions. Yeah, I agree with that. Notice two days ago, I think it was Friday evening, Friday afternoon, Friday evening, Kansas announced a $350 million campaign. Kansas, for football expansion of their stadium, new facility upgrades, renovations, et cetera. Kansas, football, Kansas. We don't think of Kansas had a football program. That's not a football. So, but, but $350 million. Wow. That campaign project, good luck. They got a donor contribution commitment of $50 million for one person. I don't know what she, where the, other $300 on going to come from. But they're doing that because they, you know, they term it they want to start, you know, being competitive and rep- well-represented in Big 12 football. Okay.
3: And I also think part of that is the fact, even if they're not necessarily competitive, I mean, I think that's where they want to be. But there's several studies that suggest the cream of the football world is going to maintain the cream. Of but the other institutions need to make sure that they don't fall out of line. If realignment does take place, they want to at least be in the position where they can make an argument that we're doing our part.
0: Exactly. So That's why they're doing it.
3: This is about exactly if not making sure that we're doing our part to maintain uh, where we are in a good stead and not somehow get left out, which was possible. Remember, this is a Kansas team that was at one point when there was all the talk about uh, the implosion of the Big 12, where would they go? Because they couldn't really make an argument they, that they were in a solid enough position with football. So I wonder how much of this is more about that than it is truly uh, wanting to start the
0: position themselves seriously in the football equation. Well, oh, That's the, probably the reality of the situation. Because in terms of TV markets and things of that sort four or five years from now, if U of A wins and maintains relevancy on a national level, mm-hmm. then Houston is more relevant for a conference in Kansas in football. That's right. And so with USF and UCF. So yeah, Kansas is trying to be proactive. We're going to see if, if it pays off for the next and possibly the final realignment on Division One level football. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay, so, share with us your weekly, this past week, sports coverage.
2: Well, this week was pretty easy. Um, all I had was the – all I have and what I, what I was looking forward to was the SWAC women's volleyball, volleyball roundup. <clears throat> Went pretty well. Had a nice crowd. Uh I talked to coach uh Adams, the T women's uh head volleyball coach after the final match today against Alabama State. They went three and two this weekend, but they're five and seven over overall. Uh, they lacked some games just because of the fact they went going through the uh hurricane and uh the weather situation, so they weren't able to either play uh or but she said it was. She, they were all looking forward to, the, to this weekend to get those five matches in before they started their home and home conference run uh, of matches. Two teams that stood out stood out for a reason, especially in the SWAC, What they're concerned was Alabama State, who's twelve and seven overall, and five and zero. They went five and zero this weekend. Also, going five and zero was Alabama A and M at five and twelve. They had a tough uh preseason uh non conference schedule. But they're looking forward to, to making our run. <clears throat> Things that was that was okay but weren't great, should have done better was uh preview uh went three and two this weekend, we Got three and six overall. Uh Oklahoma State was two and twenty one,
3: went 0 and five. <laughs> Hello?
2: Yeah.
3: That's, okay. We're 5. Ooh, the brace. Took it on the Well, That? Nah, they went
2: through, the, the, the funny thing about today was, Prevy went through that match yeah. <laughs> today so quick. We didn't know the match was over yet. What <laughs> were That was the funny part of all day long. I was like, wait a minute. They, they done? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Go ahead and get the other two D's and. Come on out! So we got an open court, and that's just the way it went. And it kind of shocked everybody. We, you know, you sitting in the gym, you're looking at two courts going at the same time, and all of a sudden, the court is empty. And you wonder what happened. But uh, Coach Johnson and uh, Adams, she talked about uh, how, they, how they were looking forward to this weekend, but so also she said they are looking forward to uh, conference match. Uh, and she's also looking for another trophy. She spoke about that Austin. And I do believe once they get their feet up on them they get some confidence and they get into uh, get into conference home and home play match play, they'll be all right. It was a good weekend, they had a good a bunch of high school teams, uh a bunch of club teams that came out and watched, and as college coaches always say, it's always good to host something at home because it helps recruiting. And the one thing everybody found out is all about scholarships. And you find my child a scholarship. Well, this weekend they found out if you can play,
0: you put forth an effort, you qualify for school, scholarship is yours. And how can folks find this information, sir?
2: They can find it. <coughs> yeah. I just posted the, uh, the post game interview with Coach D. Adams. On YouTube, Bartle, Blockify, at AK BCSR, Big College Sports Report. You can find me on the other uh, social platforms Twitter, TweetDeck, and Facebook at Jerry L. Woodley Jr., JL Woodley1.
0: All right. We're going to wrap it up. Fella, thank you very much for your time couple couple things real quick. Rockets Media Day is Monday, and it starts in a few hours. Looking forward to that. There will be some things <laughs> discussed considering um, the president of the Players Association is now on the Rockets team, Mr. Chris Paul. So we're going to have some things to talk about with him. So oh, that's,
2: yeah. Nice yeah, tweet. So yeah, That's, they...
0: <laughs> that's going to be an interesting uh, discussion. We'll see how much basketball is discussed at Media Day. I know some media folks, some of my colleagues, want to talk about Basketball, good luck with that. So, uh, but and next podcast, don't worry, listeners, loyal listeners, we will be going into further discussion about uh, number forty-five oh, yeah. and his comments. Trust and believe that will be touched on in typical KG fifth world wildcat and doc style. You know how we do sports and more here on our podcast. Want to touch on if you didn't watch it, game one of the. T- 2017 WNBA Finals today. Well, I tell you, nice. boy, this LA Sparks, Minnesota Lynx game one of the five game series. Sparks won it thriller, 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 thriller. 85 84, game winning bucket scored by Chelsea Gray. Two seconds left, step back jumper. First quarter, I didn't think the game was going to be competitive. Definitely didn't think it would end up in the goal seesaw battle like, like it did because LA jumped out to like a 26 28 to 2 lead. So kudos to Minnesota for making the game competitive, taking the lead in the fourth quarter. Game, game one was on ABC. The other, so I think, two, three, four, and five will be on ESPN or ESPN2. You can go to my women's hoops blog, HoustonRomballView.com, to get the schedule for that. It's good basketball, folks. If you like basketball, watch that. The two best teams in the WNBA been away for the last couple of years. It's the first rematch in the WNBA Finals since Comets Liberty, 1999 2000. So, good basketball, MVPs all over we the floor. So, just watch those two teams play and enjoy it. Going to wrap it up. Of course, I'm KG of the Houston Round Bar View, HoustonRound Bar View.com, Houston Round Bar View on Instagram, Houston Round Bar View you on YouTube. <laughs> Our podcasts are available on a lot of different avenues now. Mm-hmm. We're on SoundCloud. The link's on. We've got our Facebook page, on Facebook, SoundCloud, Pod Directory, iTunes, Google Play Music. If it's a podcast format, it's our podcast available. So check us out. Spread the word. We have fun sharing our information and opinions with you. So tell your friends about it to give us a try. Let's do it. We enjoy what we do. Going to wrap it up as I always do. In conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more.